I'm Marcelo Lewin, and this is the Contentful Creators Podcast, Season 1, Episode 5. So let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 of the Contentful Creators Podcast, where I have conversations with content architects, designers, developers, and other creators who use the Contentful content platform and related technologies to create web experiences. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin, a content creator, developer, project manager, and a certified Contentful professional. Today, I'm having a conversation with Roman Hood, a self-taught developer with over 10 years of experience developing web applications. Roman and I will chat all about Node.js and how to get started developing applications with it. But before we get started, if you want more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, blog articles, or to register for our meetup, all focus on creating web experiences using Contentful and related technologies, please visit www.contentfulcreators.com. All right, Roman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm glad to have you here. It's interesting because we connected through Reddit and it seems like I caught you in the middle of a move, right? So you just moved across the country from where to where? I sure did. I moved from Minneapolis to New Mexico. It was an interesting time to be doing it. Any move comes with its oh, bucket of surprises and stresses and to be doing it with this going on. But, you know, we got through it. We're quarantining. We're making absolutely sure we didn't bring anything across the country with us. Now that we've got that behind us, us, I can get back to work and focus on the things we're going to talk about today. Definitely. And when we say this, we're talking about the COVID-19 virus, which hopefully by the time everybody's listening to it three, four months from now, it's like the past, hopefully. Hopefully, definitely. Well, today we're going to be talking about Node.js. Before we jump into Node and all of that, tell us a bit about your background. How did you get into development and how did you get into Node and all that stuff? I got into development in my early 20s. I don't have a software engineering background and I wasn't quite sure that I was going to go in that direction. And I worked for a company in Oklahoma City called US Fleet Tracking. I was answering phones there. And I got to know the developers there and the owner there. And they really gave me a crash course in introducing me to web technologies that they use to build their business. And they really gave me a lot of on-the-job training, which was amazing. That's really how I got my start. Once I saw what a line of code actually looked like, I realized that actually is something I could do. And it seemed like all those software engineers that that company employed had a pretty good job. And so I decided to go in that direction at that time. That's when I also started self-teaching as basically as much as I could because I left that company eventually and hung out in Oklahoma City trying to just get whatever work I could in the web app development space. And that's when I kind of came across Node.js for the first time, as well as a lot of other languages I was learning about and working with at that time, like PHP and Ruby and doing various things. And I eventually learned how to get an actual job doing that full time, as opposed to being a junior developer who they're bringing in from the phone department to teach a few things and actually going for it full time and started a career path that involved all kinds of web app development, front end and back end, eventually becoming a full stack developer. And that's when Node.js became particularly relevant because it's cross-functional capabilities being a front end language and back end language, sharing the same root language with JavaScript is what really opened the doors for me and really accelerated my career to where I am now. Explain that process of jumping into Node. What is it that you had to learn? Did you start with JavaScript? Give us that step one to where you're at today. From the Node perspective, what did you have to learn to get to a point where you feel very comfortable with Node? What I had to learn was JavaScript itself. And the reason I would say that was my step one, as opposed to possibly someone else's step one, is it depends on how beginner we're talking about. An absolute beginner might not even know what a runtime is or what front-end or back-end is. And so they might need to start somewhere a little bit before that. If you're already a developer, see, I, I was... 
I was doing basic web development, front end HTML and CSS and light JavaScript to tie things together. And I was doing back end development with different languages like PHP and Ruby. And so when you're switching language, switching from back end to front end development, you're having to switch languages. That's an additional cognitive load on your work process. And especially if you're trying to teach yourself these various things and the differences between them, it can get very confusing. And I started hearing about Node.js and I really didn't understand it at first, but it turned out the only thing I had to really learn to get going with Node.js was JavaScript itself. I was already doing a little bit of JavaScript on the front end, but I was certainly no JavaScript expert and I, I wasn't doing anything big. And once I realized that Node.js is simply JavaScript for the back end, it's a back end scripting runtime, just like Ruby or PHP or Python, these other back end languages I was already kind of familiar with. I already understood what back end languages were and how runtimes operated. Once I realized it's just JavaScript for the back end, then I knew I could just focus on the entry of the language itself, the little things I didn't quite know and all the things you can do with it. And then I could become a Node.js developer because I could take that knowledge to the back end and start making my back end for my full stack web applications in the same language that I was already learning to do in the front end. So assuming you're already a developer, step one is know JavaScript pretty well. And we're talking about plain vanilla JavaScript, not with a framework or anything, just JavaScript itself, you need to know that really well to truly understand and harness the power of Node, correct? That's exactly right. Or at least that would be my answer. Sure. And the good news is that on the internet today, that's one of the easiest things you can learn. So just JavaScript itself inside a web browser in a front-end kind of environment would be fine because you'll just learn it. You'll learn how functions and objects and all these things work and learn that stuff down really well. It'll be very easy to learn in any environment you want to. And then move on to step two, which is going straight into Node.js. So Node is basically we're talking about an environment that allows you to use JavaScript on the back end, whereas Chrome has its runtime in the browser and you run it on the front end. But there are obvious differences in object models, correct? Sure. So they're essentially the same. In fact, there is one key piece of componentry which is common between them, and that's the V8 engine, which Google makes. But what you just said is perfectly correct. Node is the runtime for the back end, and the web browser itself is the runtime for the front end. And their object model that you asked about being the same I suppose what you're talking about is the fact that since JavaScript runs in the browser, it has access to different things and different things that it can right. do. It can access web objects like menus on your screen and buttons, just various things that are pretty much within your browser. Whereas the backend version, Node.js, it has access to a variety of objects too. But the objects it has access to are file system things and server things. It can make folders and directories, move things around, connect directly to databases, write things to disk. Is that what you were talking about with two different object models. That's exactly what I was talking about. So step one is you need to know JavaScript really well, but then step two, you need to understand the object models of each of the environments. One is backend and one is frontend because you're not going to have access to, for example, window in Node, I would imagine. That's correct. You'd have access to different things, <laughs> but not window and not document. So once you've learned the object differences, what's the next step that takes you to the next level in Node development? What do we need to know next? Most new computers these days will come with Node installed. Some companies are getting better and better about keeping the version up to date. But depending on how old your computer is or whether you already have it installed, get it installed on your machine. And then I would say get very comfortable with the REPL, the R-E-P-L. I couldn't even tell you what that acronym stands for anymore. I learned it so many years ago. <laughs> but most backend languages, especially scripting languages, which Node.js is, will come with a REPL. And that's this neat little tool that you run from the command line. And it puts you into 
basically a development sandbox for whatever language that's. Once you know that you know JavaScript very well, because you've learned it at least for the front end, and once you fully understand the differences between front end and back end development, and that Node belongs on the back end, and the kinds of things the Node will have access to on the back end as, as opposed to the front end. At that point, go ahead and crack open the Node REPL, because you'll be sitting on a sort, even if you're doing it from your laptop, your viewpoints will be kind of quote unquote inside the back end. So you'll open this Node REPL and you'll start programming some JavaScript. And it will be very similar to everything you learned learning JavaScript on the front end. It won't be identical, but it'll be very similar. The syntax of the language will be virtually identical. But you'll be developing a Node.js feeling like you're in the back end, and that will hopefully help you understand what Node is really doing on the back end. And then from within that Node REPL, once you get really comfortable just opening Node, writing some code, seeing it work, exiting the Node REPL, you can maybe make a .js file, just put a little bit of code in there, a simple script, and then run it with the Node command. Run Node followed by the name of your file from the command line. And then you're getting really comfortable with running JavaScript on the server side. And my hope is that by running it in the node REPL on the back end, you'll realize how similar it feels to just cracking open the browser console on the front end, which you probably did a lot while you were learning JavaScript. Whatever laptop you're on or whatever browser you're using, on my Mac right now on Google Chrome, it's command option J, that opens your web browser's development console, and it puts you right into a JavaScript REPL. And the chances are, as you were learning vanilla JavaScript itself, you came across this little console REPL where you can just type line by line of JavaScript code and see it execute before you, and it's this fun little sandbox. Once you realize that that node REPL on the back end is basically the same thing, I think that'll help solidify the conceptual difference between front end and back end and what they're used for and what they're good for. So we have JavaScript, we have ES6, and we have TypeScript. Can you explain the difference between the three and how do they all relate to Node? JavaScript is a non-technical word. The actual word for the language that JavaScript refers to is ECMAScript, but ECMAScript is the worst word in the world, so everyone's JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> the actual story of how it got the JavaScript name is a little more interesting than that, but that's that's something you can Google. It's, it's this fun story to deal with how big Java was in the 90s, even though JavaScript has nothing to do with Java. It was purely a marketing thing, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's or that, you know, that's as legend says. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, JavaScript refers to the ECMAScript language. And the language itself, it's not even really a thing. It doesn't refer to a program, a runtime, a technology, a device. The language itself is really a document that defines itself. It's a document which defines this language, which we shall call ECMAScript, and it, it'll have syntax that looks like this. And this is the document that JavaScript runtimes use as their business rules, basically. The spec, right? That's right. So the makers of Google Chrome, the programmers that sit in Google, and they're going to make a browser for the world to use, they want their browser to be able to support JavaScript. And in order to do that, when they're programming Google Chrome, they have to read this ECMAScript document that just tells them all the rules. Your browser has to be able to read code from top to bottom, left to right, like this, look for these words and, and do these things. So ECMAScript is really just the standard, the spec, as you said, that defines the rules for this language, which we will call JavaScript slash ECMAScript. And then the runtimes themselves, Google Chrome, the browser itself is an example of a runtime for it. Node.js is an example of a runtime for it. The makers of those runtimes just follow those rules. You asked about ES6. ES6 is a version of the ECMAScript standard that came out a few years ago at this point, although 
to be honest, in my mind, I'm still in the habit of thinking of it as this sparkling, fresh, new thing, because I remember when it came out, and I remember the days beforehand and the transition afterward. Around the same time that ES6 came out was what I would call the super explosion of Node.js in the workforce, in the industry, basically. It really has taken over in an amazing way. And so I tend to associate that with ES6 because it's the new version of JavaScript. It's all the newest, latest, greatest features and all the newest stuff. The standard itself, the ECMAScript standard, the people who make that standard, they listen to the community. A lot of people wish JavaScript could do this or not do that or do this differently, wish it could support other features like features that other programming languages have in the future. In the future. And so this committee body listens to the community and over time, they kind of change the standard. They update it. And version six was a really big one. ES6, what everyone's referring to, was a really big one. It changed a lot of syntax. It introduced a lot of new things. And One thing I think beginners should be aware of right now is today, you and I talk here in spring of 2020, we are in a post ES6 world firmly and completely. Because the internet is as old as it is at this point, there is no shortage of tutorials and learning materials from 15 years ago when I was learning these things that are dealing with a version of JavaScript that's older than ES6. And so you'll see different things. You'll see this word var, V-A-R, all over the place in the pre-ES6 days. You might still see it in a post-ES6 days, but in this post-ES6 world, var has largely been replaced by let, L-E-T. That may be one visual thing that might confuse beginners as they're trying to learn and they don't quite know the difference between pre-ES6 and post-ES6. But we are firmly, we are definitely in a post-ES6 world at this point. So that means that Node supports ES6 without a problem in all the features of ES6. Oh, that's correct. What about TypeScript? And explain the difference between TypeScript and ES6. So TypeScript is a bit newer than either of the things we've been talking about so far. It is an additional spec. So in some ways, it's kind of conceptually similar to ECMAScript. It's rules for new ways of doing things as you're writing this language, but TypeScript itself is also a JavaScript library, which does an actual job. It adds a few additional language features. The kinds of things that you could hypothetically imagine a future version of the ECMAScript standard, ES25 or something, adding and changing JavaScript, but as of today, that's not happening. These particular TypeScript changes, that is to say the changes specified by this new phenomenon of TypeScript, these are paradigmatic differences between JavaScript and some other languages that especially computer science majors might be familiar with. So TypeScript, in addition to defining additional specs similar to how a new version of ECMAScript does, it's also an actual tool which compiles this new TypeScript language, which you write down into regular JavaScript, which some runtime will be able to execute. When you write your code in TypeScript, whether you're gonna put that code in the browser or in the Node.js runtime on the server side, that runtime won't know what to do with it because it's a different language, or at least it has just enough different features and new things which would break the execution that it's clearly not JavaScript that's being run. And so when you write your code in TypeScript, you run this TypeScript tool from the command line, which takes all the text that you just wrote and basically translates it down and produces another JavaScript file, translates your code into regular JavaScript. And then that regular JavaScript gets executed by the runtime. ECMAScript 
is the spec for the language of JavaScript itself. TypeScript is a tool that's built on top. TypeScript allows you to write your JavaScript completely differently outside of ECMAScript standards with new features and then compile what you wrote down into JavaScript compliant code. Now, one of those new features is very important, right? Can you explain what one of those features are that JavaScript by default doesn't support? And it's partly in the name of TypeScript. Type checking and type safety, I guess you're referring to. Right. So explain why type checking is so important. General wisdom considers it to be important because it reduces bugs. You can write a program which has a lot of variables, has a lot of functions which operate on variables, take input, produce output. And the various operations that it does on the various pieces of data that it operates on that will be of particular types, different data types, you know, strings, numbers, arrays, various objects. And you can write your code in such a way that it'll only work if the piece of data given to it is of the type that it expects. There are operations that you can do on an array that you simply can't do on a string. There are operations you can do on a string that you can't do to numbers. So depending on the data type of the variable your function is being given, it may work smoothly or it may be a bug, it may fail. And because our code is continually integrating with other code. It's very easy for one component to pass the wrong type of data to the other component. And JavaScript itself is not a language that automatically checks for types. It will not scan through your code and make sure that every time you're calling a function that expects an integer, that you're calling it with an integer. Some other languages do that. And that's what TypeScript adds to the game. If you define a function which takes parameters of a certain type and then you're clearly using it incorrectly elsewhere, TypeScript won't allow you to compile that completely. TypeScript will alert that to you. And the way that that's enforced is you write extra code. It's extra typing, so that's why some people don't like it. In JavaScript, you can define a function which takes parameters, but you don't have to specify the type of those parameters. And then you can begin operating them as if it's just assumed that they will be of the correct type. You can imagine a code base full of code written like that growing and growing and growing over time. And eventually, all kinds of bugs are gonna start popping up and you're gonna be tracking down these bugs and they'll eventually be related in some way to the fact that expected type and given type are mismatched somewhere. The idea is that by writing your code in TypeScript in the first place, as your project grows over time, you'll avoid bugs like that because TypeScript will always be forcing you to specify the type of this parameter in your function definition I'm talking about, the type of that parameter, and so on. In the compilation process, it will recognize if that's missing. It will alert you, you can fix it, and then you can finish working. Right. If you defined a variable as an integer and all of a sudden you then add a decimal number to it, obviously it's going to go, hey, we got a problem here. You know, that was a very long-winded explanation of answering your very simple question. <laughs> That's okay. Reducing bugs, I suppose, is the general thing that TypeScript is supposed to really help with over time. Definitely. So let's talk a little bit about the pros and cons of Node. I know you're a big fan of Node, but there's obviously pros and cons to every technology. Can you touch upon a couple of each? The best thing about Node.js is the fact that that it enables you to just stay in the same language as you switch back forth from back into front end, which allows for extreme productivity. Another thing that's great about Node.js is I would say for a scripting language, it's blindingly fast. It's scalable, very efficient, the way it handles operations under the hood. And so in a lot of people's opinions, that by itself just makes it superior to various other backend scripting languages and backend scripting runtimes that you could use for your web app. Over time, the cons for Node have gotten fewer and fewer. One that I would say is compared to a Ruby and Python, the syntax for Node, that is to say the syntax for JavaScript, is not particularly pretty. 
it kind of resembles the more old school languages. It has, you know, curly braces and things that you might recognize from C or C++. Whereas what people really love about Ruby and Python is how easy they are both to write and to read. As you look at a file of code, you know, the aesthetics are quite different. And it also bleeds over into your fingertips as you're writing with it. Another thing that may be a slight drawback kind of relates to one of those pros that I mentioned a moment ago, what it's doing under the hood to be so efficient. That's very difficult to learn and to understand. And to be honest, beginners certainly don't need to learn and to understand it. But because of some very specific things, it can lead to some gotchas. The language itself under the hood has some weird implementations of some things that for a beginner, they can write a piece of code that's just not working the way they expect it to, the way it intuitively seems like it should. And they don't know why, and they don't know how to Google their answer. And the reason is probably because of some of the weirder features that are, again, very advanced. I really don't think that beginners need to worry themselves or to stress about learning about the event loop or what the event loop is and threads and how callbacks work. These are things that you'll learn with time and they'll eventually, when I say they, I mean these concepts themselves that I just explained, they'll make you learn them over time. But the thing is you go out there and you get a job and you go through a coding interview. I've been on both sides of interviews so many times now at this point that I've seen this a lot. Sometimes they'll ask you those very esoteric questions about what Node is doing under the hood. I disagree with doing that. But if you get that, then it's helpful to know. But beginners shouldn't be asked that anyway. You brought up events. So obviously Node is event-driven. Can you explain what that means a little bit and how Node supports that? Asynchronous I.O., writing things to disk, sending network requests, writing things to a database. As Node is executing one line at a time from top to bottom, one line of code may do something, which is going to block the rest of the execution. Sending a network request, sending a, a GET request to an HTTP endpoint and waiting on the response could take a moment, which would just be much longer than your code would work if it didn't have to sit around and wait for a network request. So is the rest of the code just going to sit around and wait for that request, or is it going to keep on executing like normal? And then maybe when the response gets back, then it deals with the response. Well, the way Node handles that is when you do asynchronous I.O. like that, it basically puts the response handler into a callback queue. And there's this event loop that ticks over and over and over again. It's always checking that callback queue for things that may have finished. And then if it's finished, it goes ahead and executes the handler for when it's finished. But because that event loop is always ticking, including when it's executing each line of code from top to bottom, the response handler for something that happened a moment ago may be ready and it may go ahead and get executed at a moment when it doesn't intuitively appear that it would be in the code. I'm trying to give an explanation of a really esoteric feature deep within Node, which is really difficult with words. It really helps to have visuals and things to draw on and to follow along. So I don't know if everything I just said made much sense or really answered the question you were looking for. No, we did. And it did completely. You can execute things asynchronously and then events will listen for that and execute the callbacks. That's precisely correct. Yes. Yeah. Sounds good. So how is Node different from Ajax? Or some people go like, wait, there's jQuery, there's Ajax, there's all of these kinds of things. Where does Node stand with those? Sure. Great question. So Ajax itself is not a language. Asynchronous JavaScript and XML, I believe is the acronym for that, refers to a method of sending an HTTP HTTP request across the internet in an asynchronous way. Ajax is a technology, but it's not a language like JavaScript. It's not a runtime like Node.js. It's a thing that web browsers are able to do. So it's web browsers themselves that support Ajax. 
on my Apple laptop on Google Chrome, it's command option I to open the developer console, specifically the network tab. On most websites that you go to, if you just leave this network tab open, refresh the page, click around to various websites, you'll see a lot of Ajax calls happen. That is to say, you'll see a lot of HTTP requests get sent out, but they're happening in an asynchronous way. So I should have mentioned that JavaScript code itself is able to initiate these requests. You as a JavaScript developer are able to decide to send a web request at this moment in your code. I want to hit this API and I want to get some data back. So I need a web request for that. And so using JavaScript, you can send a web request, which will make something appear in this network tab. If you opened your network tab in your browser, it will make something appear there. You'll see a request go out and a response eventually come back. And if you do it in an asynchronous way, that's called Ajax. And asynchronicity kind of gets into what we were just talking about with the event loop. You say, I'm sending a web request. Eventually, the response will get back. And when it does, go ahead and handle it. You define the method by which JavaScript will handle the response. But the rest of your code is able to execute while that web request is happening. That makes sense. So Ajax, really, it's more focused on the client side. That's right. So let's talk about Express. What is Express? A lot of people use Express with Node. What does that mean? Express is a framework. It's what we call a server-side framework. Server-side frameworks are helpful because Whatever project you're going to get going with, if it's a web application, you simply know that you're going to need certain features, certain things. The web application will have to boot up and start up in a certain way. You'll have things like endpoints to define and things like controllers. I'm throwing a lot of terminology out there, not because everyone needs to know what these things are, but only to make a point of what frameworks are. You'll need controllers for those endpoints and models for those controllers to talk to. Every web app is going to have a whole bunch of very similar things. They'll all be different, but the types of things you need are similar. So a framework is a library written in your language of choice, which provides you a bunch of pre-written code. It provides you a skeleton version of a basic web app for you with a whole lot of features built in that you can then build on top of. And Express is one of those frameworks for server-side development. And a comparison for Express for other server-side languages is Ruby on Rails is a big one that I'm sure many people have heard of. Python has one called Django. That's a server-side framework for Python. Express is definitely the biggest, most dominant, most popular server-side framework for Node.js. And it allows you to define endpoints for your backend of your web app and what will happen when those endpoints receive HTTP requests. That's the glue. That's the bread and butter of the entire web right there. It's endpoints receiving HTTP requests and doing something with them. Once you've completed your project and using Node, you're running it on Express, you have your endpoints, how do you go about publishing this to a public site so people have access to it? That process that you just referred to, publishing your code to a public site, that's called deployment. Many teams have dedicated professionals who focus on that. It's called DevOps and sometimes sysadmins. I recommend basically everybody get familiar with AWS at this point. AWS is a cloud technology provider. And if you just make yourself a pretty basic, pretty simple account with AWS, even if you're not really familiar with it, they provide ways of taking taking an existing application that you've already written in Node and very quickly and very easily uploading it and getting it going. So what would you like to see change in Node? I generally tend to prefer functional programming over object-oriented programming. And JavaScript, that is to say Node, is great because it has great support for both. ES6 brought with it classes 
a concept that JavaScript didn't have before, but many other languages had, very well known from other object-oriented languages. JavaScript brought them in to not necessarily introduce anything new, but to change the way you do object instantiation. JavaScript had a completely different method of doing that, which was still object-oriented programming, but it was not class-based object-oriented programming, which worked fine, but a lot of people didn't like it. Ever since ES6 brought in classes, they've certainly been used more and more, which I'm fine with. Those classes, they're syntactic sugar on top of something else, which is more fundamental to JavaScript. And in my opinion, learning that thing that's going on underneath is more important than learning to work with classes. At this point, firmly in a post-ES6 world, classes have totally taken over the landscape. And knowing how to write Node utilizing classes is absolutely essential. And it's mostly fine most of the time, but it still leads for beginners, especially to a lot of confusion along the way at various points when people don't quite understand how inheritance works and how prototyping works. This is terminology I'm throwing out that beginners will eventually become familiar with, but probably because they'll eventually have a problem with it. And that problem will force them to investigate this. And then they'll learn kind of what's going on underneath. It's a bit of a learning curve itself. So I kind of wish the class syntax had never been added in the first place. Most of the community disagrees with me on that, though. And now that they're firmly added, they're really gaining steam and being used in various code bases on various projects and various teams I've worked with in recent years. And I don't love that. It shoves things in an object-oriented direction when I tend to prefer functional programming in general. But even being object-oriented programming, it does things in such a way that hides a different style of object-oriented programming. And that confuses a lot of people. Well, Roman, unfortunately, we're completely out of time. I do want to thank you for being on the podcast today and for sharing all your wonderful knowledge. It's very obvious that you know a lot. More importantly, you're very passionate about this. So I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thanks for saying those things. This was really fun. I'm glad we did this. Yeah, me too. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, do you want to provide a URL, Twitter, email, whatever you want? You can always take a look at my GitHub. It's github.com slash Roman Hood, all one word. And you can probably find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Roman Hood. Excellent. We'll put all that in the show notes. So Roman, thank you. And to the rest of you, I'm glad you were here with us. Just a quick reminder to visit www.contentfulcreators.com for more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, blog articles, or to register for our meetup. So until the next episode, I'm Marcelo Lewin. Cheers, everyone. Cheers.